Welcome to the Gonzo Zombie Survival Specials. Part 1, The Zombie Survival Guide by Max Brooks. This episode is designed to be part book review, part training primer. To get the most out of it, you'll have to cast aside all preconceptions as to whether zombies exist or not. In this text, written as fact, they exist. It's a 250-page study into what they are and how to defend yourself against them, while surviving in a world home to and possibly overrun by the undead, coupled with a hefty section of recorded attacks at the end. This is not a comedy show. It's not a light-hearted list of cool ways to kill a zombie. This is a way of assessing a fantastical situation we've been presented with time and again in an unusually practical and clear-thinking manner. Next week, we'll be taking a look at World War Z, Brooks' sci-fi recounting of a zombie war that wipes out the majority of Earth's population. Joining me in the bunker is Neil Taylor of Game Burst. Hello, Neil. Hello. And to play the control guest, exemplifying the average practical gonzo listener, is Matt Ramsey. Hello. Matt's job is to answer our questions as truthfully and realistically as possible, and at every relevant point ask us questions that you, the listener, may have for the Zombie Survival Guide. Neil and I will be quoting from and citing the guide when appropriate, and you will hear the voice of the guide itself in the form of an audiobook read by Mark Cashman. Now, Neil and I can't claim to be any kind of experienced, qualified experts in this field, and frankly, neither can Max Brooks, but if we're analysing this as a factual text, then we know our zombie survival guide forwards, backwards, and side to side. So to start off with, we have to know what we're up against. Now, this question is for Matt. Right, first off, Matt, have you seen the 1978 Romero film, Dawn of the Dead? Uh, Only bits of it. Bugger, because that would have helped you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so shame on you <laughs> now I'll confess right now that I'm not really a fan of this film and I saw it the other day and I actually it, despite me not really liking it all that much or not respecting Romero all that much it's a pretty close well you can see where Brooks has, has gone using this as, as uh, a huge aspect of writing the guide in the first place so what we're dealing with here is a Solanum zombie what is Solanum? it's a virus yeah, it's a virus that he made up, uh, but it's a, a name that he's given to the zombie virus. So think classic Dawn of the Dead. Now, Matt, from what you know of zombies, and, okay, the first three Resident Evil games, are, and again, if you, have you played them? No, no, no. Balls! <laughs> You're going to get eaten alive. I'm, I'm pretty right. fucked. <laughs> well, listeners, Dawn of the Dead, Resident Evil 1, 2, 3, uh, really good examples of... Uh, what to expect from a Solanum zombie. Matt, from what you know, describe as many characteristics that you can remember. My experience of zombies is mainly uh, Shaun of the Dead and Left for Dead. So, okay. two very different types of zombie. Well, Shaun of the Dead's actually really, really close again. In that case, zombies are slow, shambling, yes. rotting human corpses that moan and try to eat you. Yep, that's pretty much on the money, isn't it, Neil? <laughs> Sounds like a zombie to me. Selenum, the virus. Selenum works by traveling through the bloodstream, from the initial point of entry to the brain. Through means not yet fully understood, the virus uses the cells of the frontal lobe for replication, destroying them in the process. 
During this period, all bodily functions cease. By stopping the heart, the infected subject is rendered dead. The brain, however, remains alive but dormant, while the virus mutates its cells into a completely new organ. The most critical trait of this new organ is its independence from oxygen. By removing the need for this all-important resource, the undead brain can utilize, but is in no way dependent upon, the complex support mechanism of the human body. Once mutation is complete, this new organ reanimates the body into a form that bears little resemblance, physiologically speaking, to the original corpse. Some bodily functions remain constant, others operate in a modified capacity, and the remainder shut down completely. This new organism is a zombie, a member of the living dead. 1. Source Unfortunately, extensive research has yet to find an isolated example of selenum in nature. Water, air, and soil in all ecosystems from all parts of the world have turned up negative, as have their accompanying flora and fauna. At the time of this writing, the search continues. 2. Symptoms The timetable below outlines the process of an infected human, give or take several hours depending on the individual. Hour 1. Pain and discoloration, brown-purple, of the infected area. Immediate clotting of the wound, provided the infection came from a wound. Hour 5. Fever, 99 to 103 degrees Fahrenheit. Chills, slight dementia, vomiting, acute pain in the joints. Hour 8. Numbing of extremities and infected area. Increased fever, 103 to 106 degrees Fahrenheit. Increased dementia, loss of muscular coordination. Hour 11. Paralysis in the lower body, overall numbness, slowed heart rate. Hour 16. Coma. Hour 20. Heart stoppage. Zero brain activity. Hour 23. Reanimation. It's, it's no longer a person, it's a new organism. I was about to say life form, but... That uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it is technically life, and it does live to, uh, to feed and replicate. It's, it, the best way of describing it would be more of a, a virus that is, uh, uses humans as a carrier. The most important thing is to disengage yourself from thinking of, of them as humans. First off, there, there is no cure for a solenum zombie infection. All traces of that original person are gone. So the only thing you can do is to get away from them or kill them. Okay. Right. And getting away from them is a lot harder than you think. Yeah. Now, the what you have at your disposal is the greatest tool in the human body is uh, that we have against the undead is our ability to think and our ability to adapt. A zombie can't technically adapt to anything it, it just does one thing it's a it's kind of like a hardwired computer program it will do one thing it will travel towards a uh, food source and consume that food source easiest way to describe it is think shark yeah even a shark is crafty compared to a zombie though the what they have on their side is time and the ability to just keep going and going and going they have this incredible amount of stamina and it, as their body rots away 
they will just keep going. They'll scrape at a door until they've got no hands left and eventually no arms left. I mean, the best means of defense is to not be anywhere near them, but unfortunately they usually leave you without that particular line of defense. Okay. Now, there is so much to cover here. All we can really give you is an an idea of what the Zombie Survival Guide is about. And a state of defense in three scenarios, if you're defending your home, if you're on the run, or if you're on the attack. Oh, to dispel some myths before we carry on. Zombies can't run. Zombies don't use tools. They're not super strong. They don't jump or fly. They don't vomit blood or any other kind of fluids as standard. And they don't talk. If you think of uh, the zombie as having access to a toolbox, it has whatever the original human had in the first place. There is no question that zombies have excellent hearing. Not only can they detect sound, they can determine its direction. The basic range appears to be the same as that for humans. Zombies are migratory organisms with no regard for territory or concept of home. They will travel miles and perhaps, given time, cross continents in their search for food. Their hunting pattern is random. Ghouls will feed at night and during the day. They will stumble through an area rather than deliberately searching it. Certain zones or structures will not be singled out as more likely to contain prey. For example, some have been known to search farmhouses and other rural structures, while others in the same group have moved by without even a glance. Urban zones take more time to explore which is why the undead remain longer in these areas. But no building will take precedence over another. Zombies appear to be totally unaware of their surroundings. They do not, for example, move their eyes in a way that would take in the information of a new setting. Shuffling silently, with a thousand-yard stare, they will wander aimlessly, regardless of location, until prey is detected. As discussed earlier, the undead possess an uncanny ability to home in on a victim's precise location. Once contact is made, the previously silent, oblivious automaton transforms into something more closely related to a guided missile. The head turns immediately in the direction of its victim. The jaw drops, lips retract, and from the depths of its diaphragm comes the moan. Once contact is made... Zombies cannot be distracted by any means. They will continue to pursue their prey, stopping only if they lose contact, make a successful kill, or are destroyed. One thing that zombies have which you really have to uh, watch out for is their hearing. If they see you or hear you and then moan, they will attract any other zombies nearby. So if you've got one zombie attacking your house and it knows you're there and it's making a racket, it will attract other zombies. So you have to be as quiet as possible, as much as possible. So asthma is not great then. Do you have asthma? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And that may be a problem for one very simple reason, just getting hold of... I mean, do you take medication for that? Yes. Okay, what do you need? I just need an inhaler when I have an asthma attack. Okay, how many inhalers have you gone through in the past year? Two. Okay. How many inhalers have you got in your house right now? One in a bit. Right. <laughs> then you have enough for nine months. nine months of a siege, if that. Okay. But I'm assuming, uh, would stress exacerbate your oh, your asthma? Um, it, to be honest, it's mainly it's, it's allergies and so forth. Okay. And, well, I'm, I'm, as long as you... Ah, I hadn't even thought about this, Neil. 
you can't use the vacuum cleaner for nine months. Nope. So that means that there is going to be a buildup of dust in your house and you can't make any loud noise to get rid of it. Otherwise, you'll start attracting zombies. And if you do attract zombies, they will be out there permanently. Yeah. Constantly moaning 24-7. So imagine someone playing their stereo just uh, uh. 24 hours a day. <laughs> Oh, and it's someone who's playing their stereo for 24 hours a day who wants to come in and eat you. Oh, <laughs> let's dispel this myth about zombies eating brains. They have no specific interest in any specific part of the body. In most zombie films, they always seem to go for the intestines. At least one person gets completely gutted, literally. Eviscerated. Eviscerated. Zombies will eat compulsively human flesh. They'll go for human over animal. Uh, but they'll go for animal if there's no human. However, they don't gain any nourishment from it. They'll, it'll just pass straight through their digestive system and end up pooling in the bottom of their underpants. And stomach. In fact, it's quite likely you will see zombies that have uh, split open yeah. because of the amount of sort of undigested food in them. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's start at phase one. You encounter a single zombie in a darkened street. You're just walking home. How do you, Matt, kill it? Um, first of all, I'd probably try and run away from it. It's a zombie, for fuck's sake. Very good, I would, yes. Uh, yes, I would try and get away from there first. Okay, absolutely right. You should try and get away as soon as possible. Okay, eliminating the possibility of escape say you have a variety of different hand weapons at your disposal let's say you're walking past a hardware store do you know the one true fire way of dispatching a zombie I would basically try and smack it in the head okay smack or it possibly it. chop its head off better far to, far to better hand. right you have to remove the head or destroy the brain again they were absolutely spot on with that in Shaun of the Dead now bludgeoning a zombie you'd have to choose what you're hitting it with so, say you've got an entire hardware store worth of stuff and, and you just, you're just going to go straight for a bludgeon um, and even a sporting goods store next to it as well what, what would you go for first? Probably something on the lines of a crowbar Very, very good smash into pieces when I hit someone in the head with it <laughs> right, We've gone straight through to the best weapon for actually stoving the head in of a zombie uh, There's several reasons for a crowbar being way at the top of the pile uh, One, it's a very heavy, dense metal and is not going to buckle and break after you've smashed in several zombie heads. Two, you can, if you catch it through the eye, you can do it some serious damage with the hook end of it. And uh, three, it actually has a practical application as well. If you're on the run, you can pry open doors with it. So it's, it's a tool as well as being a weapon. So uh, hard-wearing and multi-purpose. Okay, if you go for a baseball bat, just so that you folks at home know, if it's wood, it's not designed to bash in a skull. You're probably going to break the bat before you break the skull. You might crack the skull, but you're going to have to remember, destroy the brain and take the entire head basically off. Aluminium bat will be good for maybe one zombie head, couple at most. Uh, crowbar, really, very, very good. However, decapitation, much, much better. 
if you remove the entire head cleanly, say if you had, if there was a katana in the sporting goods store, there wouldn't be, but say there was, because we're in the UK, remember, uh, and you remove the head, as long as you stay away from the decapitated head, the body can no longer hurt you. However, you'd then, if you are able to cleave the head down the middle, that would dispatch the head as well and prevent it from being a danger to somebody else. All traces of Solanum are rendered no longer dangerous after, I believe, 48 hours, and especially if you burn the corpse. So, you would, hypothetically, Matt, smash the head in with a crowbar. Okay. You seem to have your head screwed on, right? What other particular weapons should you avoid, do you think? Uh, anything too short. The longer, the better, I would imagine, so you can stay away from the damn thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, anything that's likely to break, anything that's uh, not as hard as a, a skull. Yeah. For a start, that would be the, the obvious thing. Yep. Um, and anything that causes too much blood to fly all over the place. Yep. Anything that causes any noise. Yep. Very, very good. Chainsaw would probably be a very bad thing. Chainsaw, probably one of the worst weapons. Popular fiction has shown us the awesome, brutal power of the chainsaw. Its lightning-quick rotating teeth can easily slice through flesh and bone, making the strength and skill required for manual weapons unnecessary. Its roar might also give the owner a much-needed psychological boost, empowerment in a situation where abject terror is a given. How many horror movies have you seen in which this industrial killing machine has spelled doom for anyone and anything it touched? In reality, however, chainsaws and similar power devices rank extremely low on the list of practical zombie-killing weapons. For starters, their fuel supply is finite. Once drained, they provide as much protection as a handheld stereo. Carrying extra fuel or power cells leads to the second inherent problem, weight. The average chainsaw weighs 10 pounds compared to a 2-pound machete. Why increase the chances of exhaustion? Safety must also be considered. One slip, and the spinning teeth might be slicing through your skull just as easily as your enemy's. Like any machine, another problem is noise. A chainsaw's distinctive roar, even if running for just a few seconds, will be enough to broadcast to every zombie within earshot, dinner is served. Now, I've checked with Tony, who is a uh, landscape gardener, and uh, see, I've picked out a specific gardening implement, which I think is probably going to be really really useful for dispatching zombies. Now, there's, uh, it's called an edging iron. Uh, so if you guys Google it, I think I'm probably going to put a picture of it just below this particular thing on the website. Uh, I used to be a landscape gardener as well. Right. Oh, cool. Right. More of a labourer than an actual landscaper, but uh, I used to do certain... I used to do quite a lot of outdoor work. So. Right. Ah, it's exactly what I thought it was. Yeah. It's, it's effectively a Shaolin spade. This is something that uh, Max Brooks goes into detail as being one of the best weapons for dispatching a zombie. A uh, Shaolin spade is a very, very sharp axe blade on the end of a pole with a crescent moon blade at the uh, very base of it to balance. And it means you can keep your distance from a zombie. One swift cut could go straight across the neck and decapitate. Or if you're very skillful, you can do a swift, hard thrust. You can go, put your finger between your eyes right now, just at the top of your nose. If you aim right there with a shawl and spade, one hard thrust take off the top of their head, effectively lobotomizing them. Now, an edging iron is about the closest legal tool you're going to be able to find in the UK 
which could do that. However, Tony stipulates it would have to be very sharp and new as well. If it's been sitting in a shed for years, it's not going to take much damage before it breaks. So at a pinch, if you've only got a hardware store to run through, an edging iron would be very good. It's it's effectively, for people who haven't, aren't able to look at the image yet, it's a sort of a crescent-shaped blade you use to mark out a lawn. Now, if you can get a scythe... Obviously, that will be extremely good for taking off heads, but it's going to be so unwieldy. The, one of the best things about an edging is, yeah, it's, it's very also, slow. Also, having it's used missed. a scythe, you're likely to hurt yourself with it as well, because they're not easy things to wield. <laughs> we have to uh, look, examine this in the real world, and uh, even though things might look really cool in movies, you're gonna, you know, you couldn't use a lawnmower to dispatch a zombie. Another extremely useful uh, tool, which unfortunately we can't get hold of in this country, is a machete. It has all of the bonuses of a Japanese sword or something like that. Maybe not as uh, sharp or dense, but um, it's extremely hard-wearing. It's a tool. It can be used for things like hammering in tent pegs and other things, but it's extremely sturdy. And again, if you want to decapitate or or lop off heads or or even possibly do the whole lobotomizing, extremely good. It'll split a skull. But you need to get a military-grade one, not a civilian one. So you'd be best off, if you're American, searching through army surplus stores. Okay, shall we talk about firearms? It is mostly elementary for this country because we can't get them. We are in one of the safest countries in the world, it seems. There are no guns whatsoever. Even the police hardly have any guns. Can I just interject? I also own a shotgun. Awesome. Okay. You can However, get guns for hunting and uh, in you know, practical applications, and you can be a member of a gun club, but it's hard to get hold of them. And if you don't already have particular in- inklings towards having a gun, getting hold of one right now would be difficult, if suddenly there was a zombie outbreak. Tell us about your shotgun. Uh, it's a clay shooting shotgun, so it's two barrels, um, so you have to reload after two shots. Okay. Um, effective range is maybe 40 yards. Um, right. That's about it. It's not something I'd really want to fight multiple zombies with, but uh, it's better than no gun at all, I would imagine. Right. Um, one thing you'd use as an effective bludgeon if push comes to shove. Let's go to the zombie survival guide and find out about what they say on shotguns. Now, gr- understand... Now, in fact, no, I'm not even going to go there, because uh, they're coming. he's coming at it from the perspective that you have all these other weapons at your disposal, which, of course, in the UK, you don't. One of the problems with a shotgun is it makes a colossal amount of noise, you know, for one ghoul. Uh, but if you do have, you know, say, an edging iron to hand, then you'd probably be better off just dispatching it quietly. However, let's imagine that we live in America and we have access to all manner of firearms. Well, they have more handguns and firearms in general per person in America than any other country in the world. If you could get your hands on any firearm, what would it be? Uh, let's go with Matt first, obviously, because I think, Neil, you know the secrets here. I would imagine that a assault rifle or a light machine gun or something would probably be the best option because um, it throws a lot of lead <laughs> uh, very quickly and isn't overly heavy. Okay, so, which assault rifle? To be honest, um, what, have, what have I got a choice of, to be honest? AK-47? Uh, so you have an AK-47, an M16, uh, G36. Farmers. I'd probably go for... HKMP5 to some machine gun. Probably the AK because it's probably likely to last the longest. Right. They're fairly indestructible. Very good. There's several key things you need to focus on regarding a firearm. Right. One is maintenance. 
and AK-47 is extremely simple to maintain, field strip to clean. Now Max goes into the M16A and he really lays into it and, actually, and, and points out how uh, rubbishy it actually is, especially in comparison to the AK-47. He seems to be disregarding the later models, the M16A2 and the more, more recent M4. I would say the M4 could certainly stand up to a decent amount of use. AK-47 is, again, very useful, especially if it's got a heavy wooden stock, which, again, you could use as a bludgeon. Uh, M16 and M4 are usually made of plastics or less hard-wearing materials. Would you go full-auto or semi-auto? Semi-auto. Why? Because it makes less noise and uses less ammunition, which I'm guessing will be in fairly short supply. Yeah. Effectively, if you're careful and take out zombies one at a time uh, with precision you can do that with one shot per head and you don't require three shots four shots certainly not letting them rock and roll and putting them on full auto on full auto they're designed to take out small groups of people things that can be harmed with torso shots limb shots think people that can be maimed people that need to be cared for by the survivors there's no survivors with zombies they will not care about their downed or dying. They won't care about the wounded. They will just keep coming. You've got to go straight for the head. So one shot, one kill. And yes, of course, conserve ammo. Because ultimately, depending on how long this lasts, every single bullet could count to a single moment of saving your life. So you have to conserve every single one. Okay, so there are a variety of other guns you can get hold of. There's a submachine gun, which uh, would be very good for close range. Uh, not ma- particularly massively fantastic at long range. Pistols, again... Pretty much, if the zombie's bearing down on you, press it to their temple and fire. Any other reason? I think 75% of bullets found in the field that missed their targets were from pistols. So it's propensity for wild pistol fire, which will then alert every other zombie nearby. One second. Uh, Can I point out, if you are going to use a pistol, (laughs) this is not a video game. Do not do wield. Oh, for God's sake, no. No, aim is more important than anything else. You need to be very, very careful with every single bullet. Would you say a two-two would be particularly useful? Rimfire. It's the most common calibre of ammunition in the world. So True, so you can find a lot of it. ammunition. Uh, particularly good for taking out a zombie, though? A two-two and a uh, 5.56mm military round are very similar in terms of bullet diameter. It's just the power of the, the powder well, behind it. But aren't they, if they, the type of bullets that enter, say, the skull, mm-hmm. tend to bounce around a lot? Precisely. That is the, the best thing about the uh, 2 2 round. Well, aside from the fact that they also they weigh one third of uh, your average standard 7.62 millimeter, a 2 2 round can really mess up a zombie's brain if you can get it into the skull, and it doesn't have the power to bust back out of the skull. So once it's in there, they're going down. Uh, and also rifles, because they're set up to do one very accurate shot, get you very much in the mindset for taking out one G at a time. And also rifles meant for being firing at range, so you can keep your distance from them. The closer they get, the more wildly you're likely to end up shooting because of the pressure. Bolt action are very good and handy for that because it forces you to take your time. And it <laughs> winches still also very good. Shotguns would be... Fairly good, but ultimately a, a huge amount of ball bearings. You'd have to have them pretty much point blank to actually destroy the brain. I mean, you could really mess up a zombie, but it could still keep coming at you. I don't know. Uh, if I had a choice, if it was shotgun or nothing, I'd probably go for a shotgun. But uh, if I had a, a choice, I'd go for a bolt-action rifle. The old, uh, the classic American M1 or M14, even if you can find them, solid wood construction, extremely good for uh, bludgeoning. 
uh, but also extremely accurate and extremely good for taking out single shot zombies. Uh, what very, else? very heavy. Indeed. They are going to be heavier. And you've got to think about actually carrying these across country as well with you. If you had access to, say, a suit of armor, would you get into one? Like, say, if you get to a castle and there's no, no one's using it yet, but there's a suit of armor in the corner. No. <laughs> no. Why not? Because you'd Too move heavy. Like two miles an hour if you could walk. Yep. There's several reasons. One of them is that if you get overwhelmed by zombies, they, they can still tear bits of it apart. They will still find the chinks in your armor, and they'll bite through it eventually. Uh, and the other one is a false sense of security. You're more likely to do something foolish in a suit of armor than you would if you were just wearing cotton clothing. Your speed is one of your best advantages against the zombies. They can shuffle, at best, as fast as a, a man can walk. So you need to be lithe and nimble. Zombieland is absolutely correct. Cardio, number one. Work out as much as you can. Work out quietly. Focus on strengthening exercises. Don't get flabby and sluggish, and certainly don't only rely on your firearms. We've talked about how a suit of armor, basically, you're a human in a tin. Mm -hmm. They will get through it eventually. But that's not to say all armor is redundant. Now, obviously, a bulletproof vest is not going to do you any good. A stab-proof vest, not going no. to do you any good. They're most likely to go for your limbs when they're doing the biting, in which case the vest doesn't cover them. Whereas if you can get access to a chainmail suit, or uh, I don't know what the actual term for it is called, but um, if you dive with sharks, you know they wear a similar version. Shark suit, yeah. A shark suit. Those will actually help because obviously, eventually they will be pulled apart and obviously they can rust and due to neglect fall apart. But for a short term, just a security boost or mm. just def defense, extra defense, they will help because obviously they can't bite through the links in the chain. Yeah. It's lighter, uh, so you're not as heavy as um, wearing like, a suit of armor, yeah. and it will not lead to this false... It, you can still get the false sense of security, but it just as an added layer of protection, it is lighter and it is safe. The ideal scenario would be if you're holed up in a diving shop or a medieval recreation store or something along those lines and you have to break through the ranks of zombies to escape to safety and you happen to see one of those suits lying around. I mean, obviously, you don't have to put the whole set on, but if something covering your torso and limbs... Definitely your limbs. Your hand, especially your hands as well. For pushing them away, yeah. That will help. Would you use fire? Possibly, but... I'd probably set myself on fire. <laughs> Very true. Uh, where would you not use fire? Anywhere near the building I happen to be in. Absolutely right. If you use fire in a siege-type situation, you're almost entirely more likely to burn your own house down than make a lasting amount of damage against any zombies. Again, also, if it's at night, creates a gigantic sheet of flame, which every zombie for miles around can see and will converge upon. So in the morning, while the embers of the zombies that you managed to kill with the fire are just dying down, 700 more have just gathered around them. And fire has no allegiance. It will come back and treacherously kill you and destroy your property at any point, without any aim or direction or ability to be controlled. So only use fire in extremely controlled scenarios. Okay. Electricity, poison, gas, radiation. Would you uh, use any of them? Again probably more likely to harm myself than anything else with all of those things um i would depend on the situation but i wouldn't want to rely on them in a sticky corner to be honest i would uh, to electricity is almost entirely ineffective against zombies they don't have the same central nervous system that a human does so you'd need an, a colossal amount to dispatch a single zombie uh poison ineffective against zombies completely pointless gas d 
ditto, they don't breathe, or they don't need to breathe. They pass air in and out of their useless lungs, and that is services the mon, but they don't actually use them to survive. Radiation creates nothing but radioactive zombies, who after they've killed you, will spread their radiation elsewhere. I didn't know then. Uh, however, the one time when you should be using fire is uh, if you have killed a zombie on or around your property. It's a, it's a decaying human body, effectively. You need to get it away from you. You, need, you actually do need to burn it. So even if it will attract uh, other zombies, you're best off doing this in the daytime so that it won't create a more noticeable flame, although they will still see the smoke sometimes. So you have to push it over your wall or outside of your uh, perimeter and set light to it. I think we're going to have to talk about the flamethrower. Because I heard this on a podcast. Somebody said I would use a flamethrower for defense against the undead. The flamethrower. This device, perhaps more than any other, strikes people as the ultimate zombie eliminator. A jet of flame, 200 feet long, composed of jellied gasoline, can turn an undead crowd into a wailing funeral pyre. So why not acquire one? Why not forsake all other weapons for this man-made, fire-breathing dragon? The answers are as realistic as they are numerous. The flamethrower was developed purely as a military weapon and is no longer in service with the U.S. Army and Marine Corps. It would be difficult to find any model, let alone one that works properly. Acquiring the fuel is even more difficult than the thrower. But assuming you can find both you must consider its practical use. Why carry 70 pounds of equipment on your back when only a handful of ghouls are loose? A flamethrower's weight makes it a liability if you are on the move. Unless you are in a fixed position or have access to motorized transport, sheer exhaustion will become as dangerous a threat as the walking dead. Common sense would suggest that a flamethrower's place on the battlefield is against overwhelming numbers, swarms of undead numbering in the hundreds, if not thousands. If such a horde were, heaven forbid, to exist, chances are they would be facing a much larger, well-equipped government force rather than one private citizen and his trusty, and let's not forget illegal, flamethrower. You hear of a zombie outbreak in your nearest large city. You are at home. What do you do with the next few hours? Personally, I would go round to my parents' house, grab them, grab the shotguns that my dad has, Uh and bugger off out of town. Right. Okay. (laughs) Neil, is this uh, a schoolboy error or what? (laughs) It's a bit, I'm afraid. I, no. 
you and just about everybody else is going to have the same idea of get the hell out of Dodge. We don't want to be smug about this, but this is one of the biggest dangers if a zombie outbreak actually occurs. This is serious, because effectively this goes for pretty much any kind of national panic. If you try to escape at the same time as everybody else is, you'll find yourself stuck on a motorway, nose to nose with traffic, absolutely jam-packed, solid. And if zombies get onto the motorway, everybody is fucked. How close are your parents? Because that was actually a fairly My decent idea. parents are about a five-minute walk away. Five-minute walk, brilliant. Yeah. Okay. And I'm about a five-minute walk from the edge of my town, which isn't right. that big. So are your yeah, parents walks. mobile? Can they walk to your house? Yes. Which is the more defensible domicile? Uh, theirs, because it's a detached. Okay, right. Is it a two-story? Yes. Okay. You're going to need to take everything from your house that you want to bring to their house straight away, one trip, unless you absolutely have to. If you absolutely have to, you can come back for another trip. The most important thing is to get to their house and to start make, maintaining a low profile. Okay, so say you're at your parents' house. Don't try to get away first off, because the most dangerous thing is everybody else. More dangerous than the zombies. Because in the panic, the desperate run to the stores and the desperate run to escape and the desperate run to the turnpikes and the desperate run away from the cities, into the cities, everyone's going to trample everybody else. If you wait it out in the comfort of your own home, you're going to be far more safe. And if it all blows over, you are in your own home anyway. Okay, so you're now in your parents' house. You've got the shotguns. What other hand tools have you got available, honestly, between you and your parents' house? Um, couple of spades, garden forks. Mm, forks, not really usual, usual. Sort of standard garden tools, really. Shovel, spades, that kind of thing. The spade... Okay, as Tony said, if you, you've got an edging iron, it's going to have to be very sharp, so it's going to require some sort of knife sharpener or something. If you could begin sharpening the spade in readiness for the zombies bashing down your doors, that would be a good idea. Okay, um, fill the bathtub with cold water. If the water gets cut off, God knows how much you're going to need a giant tub of water for the next couple of days. It won't last you for too long. It'll go stagnant soon enough, but uh, it'll help. This one's going to be tricky for you guys, and it's going to be a tough one for everybody to have to deal with, but you're going to have to destroy your staircase. Okay. I'll just let you absorb that one. Much easier if you do have an open plan staircase, I will point out. Yeah, if you've got one of those, what are their stairs like? Um, kind of the not open at all. <laughs> not that easy to destroy. Are they concrete? No, they wouldn't. Good, okay. Right. So if you've got a crowbar, you're fine. You're going to need a crowbar, a fire axe, and your dad's... My dad does have a crowbar and a hand okay. axe, actually. Right. What you have to do is effectively prepare the upper floor for in case the zombies get in, and you're going to have to destroy the staircase in readiness for that, secure a ladder, so you need to get everything that you need to live with upstairs to the upstairs section. Do they have a bathroom up there? Yeah. Okay, fill the bath there, get all the food up there, get all the beds up there. Board up the downstairs windows, board up the door, make the house look like it's not actually being lived in or it's been abandoned, even though everyone's just driving off and most of the other houses will be empty rather than boarded up. But board it up. Then destroy the staircase slowly and methodically, set, set the ladder up, climb up, and then pull up the ladder just to make sure that you can. You can then go back down again and live downstairs for a while if you want, just to make sure that you've got mobility. You can even make shuttle runs to and from places where you can get supplies. But you have to make sure that 
getting upstairs is your get out clause if the zombies actually come to your house and then when you're up the stairs you pull up the ladder with you and then you leave them down there when they're down there they're fucked because they can't climb they're not smart enough they're not dexterous enough they can't grip they would just be under your staircase looking up at you if you're lucky they won't in and they don't actually see you through the windows they won't even break in through the downstairs area but you have to assume that at some point they will you have to be paranoid at this stage it's very important that you don't burn down your stairs or try to burn down your stairs because the likelihood of it spreading to the rest of your house is extremely high. Just destroy it manually with an axe. So you're up there with all your supplies and stuff. You're going to have to effectively work out how long you can stay. So if you've got, say, a week's worth of supplies, there's no point trying to stretch that out for months because you're just going to become too weak to move. At a certain point, you're going to have to go on the run. No zombies come to your house, but you are aware that there are zombies wandering around the neighbourhood. You haven't had to actually get into any particular altercations. You're going to have to sleep in shifts, keep somebody on watch, uh, acquire some earplugs if you can, or just stuff cloth in your ears, because if they're starting to moan outside the house, that can drive you insane. You're going to go on the run. You get down the ladder, you get your packs ready. You should have your packs ready... Pretty much from the word go, just in case the zombies burst in and there's no other way to get away across country with packs. Now, are you, do you live in a very rural area or in a city? I live in a market town. Market town, okay. Would you go into the town or would you go into the countryside? Uh, I, logically, I'd go into the countryside. Very good. Urban areas, absolute death traps. Urban. As stated before... Areas of high population density should be avoided at all costs when on the run. Within their boundaries will be a maelstrom of unspeakable chaos. Imagine a large number of people, say half a million, left to their own devices in a city without running water, electricity, phones, food delivery, medical attention, garbage collection, fire control, or law enforcement. Now add thousands of carnivorous humanoid creatures prowling the blood-stained streets. Imagine half a million human beings, frightened, frantic, frustrated, fighting for their lives. No conventional battlefield, no riot, no normal breakdown in social order can possibly prepare you for the nightmare that is a city besieged by the living dead. After you've been in your parents' house for a week... It's all died down. The internet's gone. Power's been cut. Water's been cut. Phone lines have been cut. Where would you then go if you were going to go across country? What would be your aim? If you would imagine that the uh, if you do take the car, you're quite likely to end up just coming up to a jammed up turnpike or traffic. That's a good question. I don't really know. There isn't anywhere particularly to head to. Do you have any nearby castles or stately homes? Seriously? Mm, no, not really. We have got a large warehousing site, which would be relatively empty of people for the size it is. Right. Um, there's a couple of places on there you could probably hole up. And there would be, you know, and as the warehouse nearby as well. So. <laughs> Potentially, lots of tins of beans. Depends on how many people were there at the time, I suppose. Right. Would you consider going to a shopping mall? Um, no. <laughs> Give us some reasons. Lots of people. Yes. It depends on when it happened. If it was, if the zombie outbreak happened at night, there wouldn't be any people there. 
but if it happened during the day, it'd be full of zombies. Well, say um, the, the zombie outbreak happened during the day anyway, but no zombies actually got to the mall straight away, and a lot of people just went straight to the mall, holed up inside, and are actually now defending it against the undead or trying their absolute best to. That that is somewhere I specifically really would not want to be. It's not a fortress. There are uh, you know a hundred different ways to get into a shopping mall. You know you'd have to have somebody running the joint who knew every inch of it uh, with all the keys. And even then, that's that's a lot to ask a lot of people to be able to defend. That draw all the, the zombies from miles around just because of the amount yeah. of noise they'd be making defense. Absolutely. But eventually yeah. they'd get in. Yeah, I mean, there, a lot of shopping malls have just, you know, glass doors. So you'd have to board up every single one of those arrays of glass doors to stop the zombies because it's not going to take much pounding to smash that glass. And then the burglar alarms go off and then all the zombies gather. Uh, what about a church? Better. If it's got a tower, you could easily... Can I, uh, as for a point of clarification, are we talking yep. a modern church or a, um, I want, I say a traditional, church? So, traditional, thousand year old stonework church. There is a 12th century church in my town. I ah, yeah. Right, would you go there? Possibly. It's got a tower which you could go up and defend yourself, but you'd need supplies to last out there, so. Yeah, okay. So it help. One of the big factors in uh, going to a church would be the huge amount of religious people who would also go there because if, if it yeah. appears to be the end of the world, the religious people are going to go to the church. And absolutely nothing against religious people, but they can get quite loud and quite hysterical when they're, you know, confronted with the end of the world. So a loud, hysterical church full of people all screaming for salvation. And also if Hollywood movies are believed, we go a bit nuts as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd just like to point out, in case you didn't realise... Yes, I am one of those religious people as well, but I wouldn't head for a church. <laughs> <laughs> I'm heading for the nearest castle. Yeah, castles, uh, we're very lucky in the fact that we live in England, so we're not so good on the offence with guns, but my God, have we got a lot more castles than America. And ours aren't plastic. Yeah, and ours can be mostly achieved by getting to across land. So if you've somehow managed to get a hold of a, 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 an orienteering map of the British Isles, you can find your nearest castle, Bodium Castle, Heaver Castle, somewhere like that. Uh, castle for me. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd probably go for... Well, Bodium was actually really um, pretty secure. And, I, and also it's got a moat. Brilliant. Right. We should point out we do mean castles that are still intact, really. Yeah, yeah. Ruins, no good. It's got, it's got to be straightforward, defensible. If it's got a raisable drawbridge, even better. If you can actually completely isolate it from the outside world. Or if they could simply destroy the drawbridge and then completely and utterly board up the front gate. Okay, the four classes of zombie outbreak. Class 1. This is a low-level outbreak, usually in a third-world country or first-world rural area. The number of zombies in this class of outbreak ranges between 1 and 20. Total human casualties, including those infected, range from 1 to 50. The total duration, from the first case to the last, known will range between 24 hours and 14 days. The infested area will be small, no larger than a 20-mile radius. In many cases, natural boundaries will determine its limits. Response will be light, either exclusively civilian 
or with some additional help from local law enforcement. Media coverage will be light, if present at all. If the media is present, look for common stories like homicides or accidents. This is the most common type of outbreak, and also the easiest to go unnoticed. Right, so this will be your average low-budget zombie movie, or something like uh, Resident Evil 1, only affecting a small area, 50-odd people. Class 2. Urban or densely populated rural areas are included in this level of outbreak. Total zombies will range between 20 and 100. Total human casualties may reach as high as several hundred. The duration of a Class 2 attack may last no longer than a Class 1 outbreak. In some cases, the larger number of zombies will spark a more immediate response. A rural, sparsely populated outbreak may extend to a hundred-mile radius, while an urban outbreak may encompass only several blocks. Suppression will almost certainly be organized. Bands of civilians will be replaced by local, state, even federal law enforcement. Look for an additional, if low-level, military response the National Guard in the United States or its equivalent abroad. Most often, so as to ease panic, these units will take a more non-combatant role, providing medical assistance, crowd control, and logistical support. Class II outbreaks almost always attract the press. Unless the attack occurs in a truly isolated area of the world, or one where the media is strictly controlled, the story will be reported. This does not mean, however, that it will be reported accurately. So that's more like Resident Evil 2, the outbreak in Raccoon City before it escalates. When it escalates, it actually reaches something more like Class 3. Class 3. A true crisis. Class 3 outbreaks, more than any other, demonstrate the clear threat posed by the living dead. Zombies will number in the thousands, encompassing an area of several hundred miles. The duration of the attack and a possible lengthy mop-up process could last as long as several months. There will be no chance for a press blackout or cover-up. Even without media attention, the sheer magnitude of the attack will leave too many eyewitnesses. This is a full-blown battle, with law enforcement replaced by units of the regular military. A state of emergency will be declared for the infested zone, as well as the neighboring areas. Expect martial law restricted travel, rationed supplies, federalized services, and strictly monitored communication. All these measures, however, will take time to implement. The initial phase will be one of chaos as those in power come to grips with the crisis. Riots, looting, and widespread panic will add to their difficulties, further delaying an effective response. While this is happening, those living within the infested area will be at the mercy of the undead. Isolated, abandoned, and surrounded by ghouls, they will have only themselves to depend on. That is like 28 Days Later, or... Uh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead, yeah, that's what he's riffing on. Now, Dawn of the Dead escalates to become Class 4, but effectively, it's a nationwide scenario. I don't think Class 3 quite encapsulates all of America falling under that, but it's pretty close. Now, Class 4 is so huge that we're going to have to come back to it later. But if you want a movie to reference, Land of the Dead. I Am Legend. Yes. Something not zombies, but yes. Yeah. So surviving in a class one or two. Now, we've already talked about defending your home. If 
that if a class one happens around your home, you'll probably be okay if you do exactly what we told you to. Uh, go to your parents' house, destroy the staircase, etc. You might even outlast a two. But class three necessitates uh, going to a fortress. You're going to need a long-term plan. Actually, this is just a medium-term plan. Long-term plans come later. But a medium-term plan effectively involves going to a place where you can remain readily supplied, where there are other people who will defend you as well. You can work in shifts and get strength in numbers, and where you can hold out against the undead for possibly years. You're going across country. You're going to need to take your belongings with you. Are your parents mobile again? Yes. Mobile enough to travel quietly through the countryside. Uh, do you have access to camping gear? Yes. Excellent. So you're going to need to get your packs on. You're going to need to move very, very quietly. You're going to need to keep your primary weapons handy. If you see a zombie in the distance, if you can avoid it, brilliant. If it's in between you and uh, somewhere you need to go, the smartest thing to do would probably be for one person to take off their pack, put it on the ground, limber up, do some stretching, take their primary weapon, and then very, very quietly move in and take out the zombie and then come back. I was just going to mention because we didn't, we forgot to mention this in weapons. Anybody in your family do archery or crossbow? Aha. Uh-huh. No, sadly we're not quite that survivalist. <laughs> if if one of you happen to have a crossbow, that would be very useful for this one lone zombie because it means that you wouldn't have to endanger one of your group by moving in to attack it, and also you wouldn't have to reel off a shotgun blast and attract every zombie in the uh, surrounding area. One single crossbow bolt in that particular scenario, carefully controlled, or a silenced weapon could take one out. A silenced weapon will still make a loud crack, which will maybe attract uh, zombies if they're very close by, but it's not going to be anywhere near as deafeningly loud as a shotgun blast. But uh, a crossbow bolt, even though a crossbow is pretty unwieldy and heavy, for that particular scenario, very useful. Because the problem is, if the zombie sees you extremely loudly and attract every other zombie nearby. So once again, quiet, careful, try not to be seen. So you get to a castle, you hold up. There are other places than castles to go to. Um, wrecking your brains, what do you think would be the most defensible type places? Um, somewhere that's made of stone or brick. A good solid building, one that's got an upper floor mm-hmm. and an easily destroyed staircase. Mm-hmm. Um, May I offer you a hint? Please do. How about instead of a place designed to keep people out, think of a place designed to keep people... In. in. Okay. So we're talking sort of police station, prisons, etc., etc. Very true. Yes. You could go to a military complex. Uh, is there is there an army base anywhere near you, or an RAF base? There's a there's an army barracks not far away. Yeah. Oh, where's your nearest prison? Uh. Now that's a question you should <laughs> ask often. It's probably Pop down the prison on Friday night. Okay. Also good. Um. I'm not sure I personally would want to be holed up in a prison. Depending on whether or not this uh, prison is still inside. Yeah. yeah. Depend, depends how it's gone. It's, yeah, my it's, prison is not a full of particularly nice people either. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is a smart place to go. It's smarter than just staying in your house or staying in an indefensible area. It's a hell of a lot smarter than going to a uh, church or shopping mall. Unless the church people have already been eaten, and then feel free. Yeah. Uh, would you go to a hospital? Uh, no, because there'd be loads of people there. Absolutely right. But for other reasons as well. Uh, If you actually looked at a topographical map showing where zombie outbreaks emerge from, 
every single hospital would be a giant red dot because people who have been bitten get taken in for treatment and then radiate out from the hospitals. That is the worst, last place you could go. Schools, especially inner city schools with high chain link fences, especially if you're in an urban area in America, actually pretty good. Police stations also quite good, but I wouldn't really want to be holed up in one. Retail stores, especially ones with giant glass windows like supermarkets, bad idea. Although you've got loads of supplies in supermarkets, effectively you become the food on display for the zombies passing by. Okay, so you come to a river. Do you cross the river on foot and or what, how would you cross the river? Um... I just I sense a trick question here. <laughs> there is a um, trick. There is something yeah. hidden. Well, crossing a river by just wading across it is generally a bad idea anyway because you get wet and cold. Absolutely. Um, so I would and that's if you don't drown. Depends how big the river is, of course. Yeah. 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 Um, I would look for a, a natural crossing place. Absolutely right. Um, Only go into water as a last possible uh, alternative to just being eaten by zombies. Uh, the... As I said, moats are extremely good uh, for castles because zombies can't swim. They can, however, dwell at the bottom of lakes, uh, rivers, etc. If they don't get you know, washed downstream, they can just get stuck in the mud. So just walking across, you get gripped immediately and bitten, and you're fucked. Uh, so, yeah. Sub, what would be the term? Subaquatic zombies? Subterranean zombies? Zombies underneath the surface are something you really need to watch. Yeah, subaquatic. Need, really need to be aware of and only go into water as a last possible resort. And you must remember to make sure that you sleep. Sleep in shifts allow somebody to watch and because otherwise you are going to go insane. With zombies, you have to think of the long game at all times. You have to just work in every scenario as though this is going to be it from now on. You can't be holding on for uh, some sort of release or some sort of reprieve. You have to get yourself in the mindset that this is a new way of living and you have to adapt. The people who can't adapt are going to be the ones who don't survive. So then you get to a fortress. Now, there's one kind of fortress we didn't mention, and this is one of the ones that I'd actually kind of like to, uh, to check out. An oil rig. Like I said, zombies can't swim. So if you can get yourself to an oil rig in the North Sea, for example, all the oil rig workers will have abandoned it because they'll have gone off immediately as soon as the outbreaks happen to get back to their families. So if you're lucky, it'll be abandoned. And if you're smart, you can actually work out how to maintain the thing for years because it's going to be supplied for 50, 60 men. It'd be a good idea to turn off the drill because even though it will actually supply you with power and oil, uh, it's there's more likely to start some sort of uncontrolled explosion. Now, you see, the trouble is the oil rig is a great idea, but the trouble is there's a lot that can go wrong on them. Like Absolutely. Saying, that you've got to turn the drill off. Well, yeah. that sounds simple, but I guess <laughs> there's, not, there's not a big switch that says off. Hands up, anyone. This is the real world who knows how to, A, get to an oil rig, and well, that's, B, get... That's easy. That's a boat. Yeah. That's not hard. But you'd have to know exactly where it is as well. Uh, you'd have yeah, to, hard. <laughs> but even if you just get a boat, I wouldn't know what to do with a boat. I know two people. I mean, I know Giles knows how to uh, sail boats, and uh, I know James and Kim who have access to a boat, uh, but I don't know what to actually do to get to them and thus to their boat and thus to an oil rig. So I think that would be kind of a, a research plan for me. That That is definitely a research plan because obviously we've all seen um, – oil rig disasters and know how yeah. devastatingly scary those things are. The other thing that's important is that if you're anywhere, or if you're going to be trying to hold somewhere for a long time and other people know about it, they're going to eventually get to you. If one of those oil rig workers survived, 
he's going to be able to come back there to the oil rig to try to, he'll have the same idea. And you're going to have to work out how to best live with other people, or you're going to be at odds with other people, which can get pretty lethal very quickly. Now, I'll point this one out. Because we are around the United Kingdom, they are, if you can get to a boat and you, are, you do know how to use perhaps uh, the mm-hmm. maps in boats and stuff, a better idea would be some of the smaller offshore islands. Absolutely right, yeah. If you can get to somewhere that's very remote, like the Outer Hebrides, and hasn't been taken by zombies, you could live there for years. This is where I would be fortunate if I was with my, my parents, because my dad can sail. Brilliant. You guys are a set, actually, from the sounds of it. Yeah, if that, I that, wasn't with my dad, I'm coming I to you. would be utterly this. shafted, because I can't sail at all. Matt and his family are like the Swiss Army knife here. Yeah. Well, it sounds like your dad, your family are good to know in a, in a like pinch they've got. people in tremors. <laughs> That's good, yeah. The crazy people are the ones you want to go straight to in a zombie scenario. Because they'll, they'll, they'll be the survival nuts who've been preparing for this for, for ages. There's various different types of people you're going to encounter if you do encounter people. There's survivors, people who've read this guide, people who are listening right now because they're taking note. Uh, there's people who aren't really survivors but have managed to survive. We call them lunch. Uh, there's psychopaths who are people who've just been waiting for something terrible to happen so they can do whatever horrible things are in their heads and you want to stay as clear from them as possible. And then there's zombies. And of course, you can't possibly just pigeonhole everybody into one of these four classes. There's a million shades of grey in between and everyone you meet is going to be approaching one of them. So treat other people with care. Yeah. It's very important to be able to rely on other people. If you can be with a well-trained, attentive group who are able to work as a team, then you can survive for years. The less of you there are, it's, it's more a case of being picked off slowly one by one. My place of retreat is going to be Bodium Castle in Robertsbridge. Uh, if, you guys, uh, if you guys at home want to Google images Bodium Castle, it's entirely surrounded by water with one single bridge to it. It is designed to withstand an, an immense siege for possibly months at a time, maybe even years. Uh, and it's only nine miles away from me. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm heading straight away. I, I, I would probably use my first week or so when there's still communications to find out what's happening at Bodium Castle. It might be that castles become havens for uh, people in England and, and, and we're told to head to our nearest castle and, and hole up there. It might be that the bridge has already been destroyed, in which case getting up there in there is going to be quite difficult, in which case maybe best not to wait. But, yeah, that's where I'm going. I have just done a um, directional thing off of Google Maps from my house to Bodium Castle. <laughs> Would you like to know? Yeah. Two days, 12 hours. On foot? On foot, without the threat of zombies. See, in nine miles, we could probably make it there in two days. Tops. And that's one of my biggest problems is actually my, my daughter being only two and a half years old. To keep her quiet would be very difficult. We'd probably have to gag her and keep her in a backpack. Obviously, head out of the backpack, but... Uh, <laughs> this is just going to a frightening place now. Well, no, if you think about it, because if she's crying... No, I'd, I'd probably be at best cradling her in my arms as we're running and just keeping her very, very quiet the whole time. Arrange some sort of papoose. Oh, I think Sharon and I decided that we were going to, uh, you know, one of us would hold the weapons, the other one would hold Lyra, and then we'd just swap over. And every time we uh, meet a, a G, we'd have to dispatch it very carefully. Well, in comparison to Neil, I'm very fortunate because to get to Bodium Castle would take me a mere one day and 22 hours on foot. <laughs> that is the official Digital Cowboys Southern England retreat. Now, we don't say don't ever use cars 
sometimes, especially if you've got a clear road, they can be a great way of getting from A to B, but you have to know exactly what you're driving and you have to know where you're going. And if you do encounter problems, you have to be ready to abandon it. Um, there are other, however, modes of transport. Uh, you could try a motorbike. Those will allow you to go places where you couldn't go in a car. It's noisy and you don't get the protection, but it does allow you to be nimble. Or best of all, a mountain bike. No noise at all, and you can pick it up and carry it with you. If you have access to a helicopter or a private jet, brilliant, but you're going to have to know again where you're going, what fuel you've got, and, and just if you're in a private jet, you're going to have to make hops from one fuel station to the next. So few people have access to it, but if anyone does have access to one, I'd like to be their friend. A Zeppelin. Very, very quiet. Extremely good at large distances. You don't need to refuel them. Maybe not the balloon, but the engine that powers it, you will. Oh, balls. Right. Same with the hot air balloon. Great idea, but Hmm. a hot air balloon is more likely than a Zeppelin. But again, with hot air balloons, you have the power to inflate the balloon. Hmm. But you go where the wind dictates, and yeah. you do run the risk of, you know, literally having to land in a horde of zombies. Yeah, and you're stuck in a tiny little basket. At least in a Zeppelin, you've got a, a decent living area, and you can travel over the heads of the zombies on the ground. Again, if you're higher than them, that's a fantastic way of defending against them. Also, if you have access to a submarine, similarly fantastic. The important thing to remember is that every single weapon and every single item you find will have at least one scenario when it's the most important thing you can have around. But you can't possibly carry every weapon with you. So what you have to decide is which ones to have handy for the majority of every situation you face and which specialised items you need to have access to for certain scenarios. On that note, let's talk about going on the attack. Now, this is something that's more likely to be uh, done en masse by the armies. And if if they can survive the initial onslaughts and then they can mobilize forces later, they can work out how to clear out the urban areas. However, some small private civilians can actually form up into small strike teams if they need to clear out an area themselves to live in. So if you're going to go on the attack, you need a small troop of, say, maybe ten people, all with firearms, all with melee arms, all trained, all who know the imperatives of silence and stealth and hand signals, etc., and who have one clear goal in mind, one specific area to clear out. So if you're going into, say, a small village, yeah, you're just going to have to go house to house, working out each zombie at a time and carefully, quietly killing all of them so that you don't end up facing a mob. These different methods that are mentioned in the guide as well. Uh, I don't know how much, how many of those you want to go into, Alex. The, the car plan is quite an interesting one. One of the reasons we've told you to avoid going uh, in car is if you head, head to, the, to the motorways or the freeways, they're more than likely going to be blocked. Now, around a small village may not be a problem, or you can clear them out silently, cars out by silently by, you know... If now be careful, we didn't mention this with cars, and if going near highways as well, going mm. across country, you should stay clear of motorways, especially with cars in, because if anyone's been bitten by a zombie, they will have turned into a zombie in a car and will be trapped in that car, mm. and seat belted in and unable to get out. They could be in any number of cars yes. on a motorway. You could have thousands upon thousands of cars. Mm-hmm. 
and you're not going to know which ones have got zombies in and which ones haven't. Which now, ones have just got corpses, which ones are, are zombies, and which ones have got open windows with an arm that could snake out and grab you, or a head that could emerge, or which ones are completely and utterly sealed in. Exactly, so you have to be careful with that. Now, the car plan uh, for going on the tech is quite interesting because one of the reasons we've told you not to go near cars is because of the noise they make. You're going to attract zombies. Mm. Now, if you're in a small urban village... Um, you can use the car to, to, to your advantage because you can use that sound to draw them to you. Yeah. Now, we're not going to be talking Carmageddon here. We ain't putting the pedal to the metal and mowing down as many as we can. No, there'd be no point. You'd just be maiming them. You need to remove the head. Yes, exactly. And anything you don't manage to do, you are going to have to back and go back and clean up, yeah. which is even harder and more dangerous. Yeah. Uh, an example that could be used is from the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. If the you bus, remember to, it, yeah. the, Towards the end, they used a bus, uh, a converted bus, so they could dispatch from inside the bus in relative safety because you're not going to be able to get a hold of a tank realistically in this situation or an APC. Wouldn't even know where to look. Wouldn't know how to drive one either. Yeah. <laughs> but a bus is heavy. It, when needs to be, you can go quickly in it, and it can be converted to your needs as you see fit. Preparation gives you a mobile fortress to basically attack zombies from. Yep. Now, this isn't going to apply to all situations, and it's going to have its drawbacks as well. You are going to be noisy, and you will run the risk of bringing more zombies instead mm. of from outside the area instead of just the ones in the area. But if you're equipped and you're uh, you're there to deal with a, a force of zombies, then you're going to. It, it's not a case of trying to remain absolutely totally quiet so that you can sneak through. It's you are effectively trying to deal with this force, but you want to manage it and control it at every point. Which the, a mobile um, platform such as a bus will give you, because obviously mm. it's a mobile fortress. And if you can get onto the roof in a last-ditch attempt, they can't get up there because they can't climb. So you could then very carefully, if you've got enough, as long as the ammunition holds out, you could slowly snipe them all. Uh, it's not a plan without drawbacks. There is no foolproof plan in this. No. Everything depends on, on many different things. Access to roads, will they be clear? If not, you're taking a chance. You have to approach any car with caution. Uh, if it's got a ghoul inside, they, even if they can't get out at you through the window, they could simply moan incredibly loudly, which then could set off a chain of moans along the motorway from other similarly trapped ghouls. And effectively, then you are just starting a series of chain alarms, which will then bring every goddamn zombie to you. The other thing that's very important to say, and we haven't mentioned, you must train with whatever weapon you've got. You've got to, it, you can't be firing off shots, but you're going to need to learn how to, if you've got a gun, you need to learn how to field strip it down. You need to learn how to put it back together very quickly. You need to learn what range you're going to be firing from. You need to learn your optimum range and be able to get to that range when there's a zombie around. If, it, if you're using melee weapons, you need to basically learn the weight of it and learn exactly the killing blows that will allow you to quickly methodically and practically dispatch them without any extra emotion you need to detach yourself from emotion and passion you need to almost become as they are any weapon that you do not know how to use will kill you yeah Almost entirely likely. I've or I've gotten. I used to have a samurai sword, and I cut myself pretty deeply on it, just cleaning it. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't even really want to be relying on one of them. I've got several model swords, but I wouldn't actually use them in in a zombie outbreak. I've got one that I could maybe rely on, but even that, it's not battle ready. And even if it says it's battle ready, it might be for recreation, but not actually for cleaving heads off. 
got to be careful what you pick. And to be honest, broadswords and katanas mm. may seem like a good idea at the time, but unless you are trained in them, yeah. you ain't going to know how to use them. There are more swords out there that are from different countries that are easier to use, but again, training is what you need. And to be honest, none of us have the training. Indeed. And not many of us would know where to get the training either. But if I could, and if I could only get hold of a katana, and if I had the time to learn how to train with one, then yeah, obviously, training with that would actually make me extremely effective. But at the same time, a well-trained person with a rock can last longer than somebody with no training at all and the latest piece of tech. unthinkable happened if zombie hordes grew large enough to dominate the entire planet this would be a class 4 or doomsday outbreak in which humanity is driven to the brink of extinction with the undead ranks already in the tens of millions is it possible to stop every aircraft with an infected passenger every ship with an infected crewman is it possible to patrol every inch of coastline to watch for a waterborne ghoul? At this point, sadly, the answer is no. Time is on the side of the undead. With each day, their ranks will swell, making containment and extermination more and more difficult. Unlike its human counterparts, an army of zombies is completely independent of support. It will not require food, ammunition, or medical attention. It will not suffer from low morale, battle fatigue, or poor leadership. It will not succumb to panic, desertion, or out-and-out -out mutiny. Like the virus that gave it life, this undead force will continue to grow, spreading across the body of this planet until there is nothing left to devour. Where would you go? What would you do? There will always be the walking dead. With glazed eyes and gawking mouths, their putrid forms will cover the earth, hunting all living things within their grasp. Some species of animals will undoubtedly face extinction. Others who are able to escape this fate may find ways to adapt and even thrive in a radically changed ecosystem. This post-apocalyptic world will appear as a devastated landscape. Burned out cities, silent roads, crumbling homes, abandoned ships rusting offshore, gnawed and bleached bones scattered over a world now ruled by machines of walking dead flesh. Fortunately, you will not see this, because before it happens, you will be nowhere near.
So say you're still in this fortress that you hold up in. Which fortress did you end up going to? Well, there's an army barracks not that far away, so that'd probably be the obvious one. Okay. Right, so say you've been in the army barracks. Now you're going to have to work out where to go because the human population of the world is outnumbered by the zombie population of the world and they're not going anywhere. Now the key issue is that zombies will rot but very, very slowly. And even if the initial zombies from the original outbreak worn away to nothing after a few years, the ones who held out for a long, long time and then eventually succumbed will still be around. So you're going to have to work out how to live for a long long time in isolation and when i say isolation i mean siberia is densely populated in comparison to how isolated you're going to have to go so you're going to have to pick the least hospitable the least appealing place on earth to you that you feel you could survive in and go there because anywhere else even remotely hospitable and even remotely non-remote is going to be full of people trying desperately to survive there. You're going to get looters. You're going to get rabid gangs of rapists traveling everywhere, just trying to steal the last of the gasoline, the last of the women, everything that they can get their hands on. Basically, think Mad Max. Yeah, Mad Max plus zombies. Think about it very, very carefully. There is no right answer to this one, because there's a variety of different uh, landscapes you could go to. Where do you personally think you could survive for, let's face it, 30 years? Realistically, uh, nowhere. <laughs> I would probably end up uh, dying of something non-zombie related if there's nobody around. But um, I mean, certainly there's nowhere near me. There's nowhere that's that, that inhospitable in, uh, in the Midlands. I'd have to head to the Highlands of Scotland, really. Yeah, you're going to have to do a lot of travel. Uh, even the Highlands of Scotland are still going to be close to land-born zombies. Eventually, you're going to have to think about this in terms of decades here, realistically. You're going to get people wandering by eventually. Uh, so, in all seriousness, if anybody out there is really deadly serious about surviving a zombie apocalypse, they've already read the Zombie Survival Guide, and they'll already know what you've got to do. You've got to find a place now, before the zombie outbreak, and research it, and go out there and stay for a while, and work out if you can survive there. You've got to find somewhere really cold, somewhere really barren, somewhere really hot, somewhere really arid, somewhere really tropical, somewhere full of danger, the Australian outback, and work out a place to live and you're going to have to buy some land and set up a compound and effectively you're going to have to maintain that compound and prepare to retreat there when a zombie outbreak reaches class 4 proportions actually by the time it's at class 2 you'll be fairly justified in going there straight away or can I point out if you have the money there is a few uh, bunkers in and around the United Kingdom you you could retreat to indeed but that's a lot of money (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'd probably be end up stuck stuck in there with all the rich British people who uh, aren't, are not going to be the absolute best survivors. You, you effectively, you're going to have to bring a team out there because you cannot do this one alone. So you're going to have to find some like-minded nutcases on the internet, band together, buy some land, and prepare. And this effectively entails going out to some mountainous range, maybe the Colorado Mountains, somewhat, something like that, the Rockies, effectively making a fortress out there but far, far from any kind of civilization. And you're going to have to set up your own new civilization, sustaining yourself for decades, but then slowly start sending out scouting parties after, say, 10, 20 years to see how the world is. If the scouting parties don't return, wait five years. 
and then send out another one. And then eventually, one scouting party will return and say that the world is now populated only by a few barely held together zombies, and you're going to have to then work out how to retake the world. So then you need to go on the attack, which see the on the attack section. But that is unfortunately it. That's the big plan. That's the, the best way of surviving a zombie outbreak. Be nowhere near everybody else and be with a like-minded team who are able to survive for decades at a time. It's depressing. post-apocalyptic movies uh, relate to a class 4 scenario Mad Max is class 4 technically not zombies but hey yeah a class 4 scenario even if it's not zombies yeah it's uh, basically extinction civilization ends as we know it for a video game equivalent Fallout 3 that was a class 4 yeah the Fallout series is definitely a prime example of a class 4 which is a class 4 I think it was a nuclear war wasn't it so Left 4 Dead is actually approaching class 4 it's definitely in the in the throes of a class three. It's very hard to tell because there's not much of a, a storyline, if you will, to those mm. games, and I'm not particularly fond of them myself. Um, you, a really good example is Resident Evil Two, other a, a major one. That's uh, yeah, so that's a class two approaching a three, definitely. <laughs> it's important to note that this, uh, while it's written as, as fact, is based on many, many works of fiction and then a large amount of practicality. It's a, it's a fantastic book. It's nowhere near as good as, as World War Z, which is just mind-blowingly fantastic, and we're going to talk about that next week. But I really, really admire Max Brooks. This is the son of Mel Brooks, of Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, Robin Hood Men in Tights, The Producers... It's, it's, it's really interesting the way he's, he's not followed in his father's footsteps in terms of comedy. This is a very, it's a deeply practical book and it belongs in the reference section purely for hypothetical reasons. What, what actually is quite interesting is that he, I don't know of anyone else that has done this, has taken a serious practical look at what to do and what would happen. Mm. Uh, and as for World War Z, it's, uh, Alex has read the book, mm-hmm. I have the audio book, but it is, an absolutely fantastic book. I cannot give the praise enough. Now, I was talking to Alex before we start the show. I attempted to go through the survival guide again for a second time. Now, bear in mind, this is a survival guide, so it's, it's not the sort of thing you read a lot. Yeah. Once you know it, it's, it's, it's just going over the basics over and over again of, of, of what we've just been ta- talking about. You know, the main watchwords of being cautious and being practical at all times and knowing what you're dealing with. It's a way of incorporating the living dead into being just one of the many things you need to learn how to, to factor in to your survival as opposed to just how to kill zombies. But uh, these works are well thought out, well researched mm. and incredibly well put together. These mm. are... These oh, it's so compelling as well. You c- these are unputdownable. And I will say this. If you just have the um, World War Z book, do get the audio book as mm. well, because it's more like, um, I wouldn't say a radio drama, the way it's done. It's, yeah. it's incredibly well done. It's, it's, it, it adds a whole degree of, of humanity and emotion. It's Interestingly enough, the closest thing I can compare it to is actually Lost. 
it's many, many people's different stories of, of what's happened. We'll talk about it next week, but uh, you'll hear from it. Um, what I want to do is try and get as many people as possible to get hold of and read or listen to this before we talk about it, because I want people to be geared up for it. But if you, uh, if you haven't got it by next week, by the time we finish talking about it, you'll probably be wanting to get it as well. Uh, honestly, folks, this is, this is something that deserves to be in your collection. We cannot ha- recommend it any more highly than that. Yeah. World War Z, an oral history of the zombie war by Max Brooks and full cast audio CD from Amazon, £7.68. That's five CDs and an absolute bargain. Totally recommended. The Zombie Survival Guide, the audiobook itself is harder to come by these days, but you can buy the Survival Guide, which is probably better as a reference guide, £4.95. Totally worth it. I would also recommend the book of World War Z once you've got the uh, audio book, if you want to I would say extra both. stories, because the, the, uh, they can't cover everything. It's abridged for the audio book, and there's several stories which I really wish they'd been able to get onto the audio, which I can understand why they didn't for time constraints and for pacing. But um, if you want to get the complete story, also get the book. <laughs> Matt, do you have any more questions for us? Anything that's not been made clear? Anything that do you think the listeners as well? You've got to assess what the listeners are shouting into their iPods. Uh, the only thing that, uh, that I've kind of thought of that hasn't been mentioned is mm-hmm. the, how is news and information about the outbreak being spread? I mean, is this something that's that's and that's if, something if we talked about a big like a, a, a cluster, a class four. Mm-hmm. Would would there be announcements on the radio, announcements on the TV? Would there be anything? You know, how, how would people know? Would this be something that, that you just wouldn't have any warning about? It's because it's purely speculative. He can't uh, work out whether people will the information will be disseminated. My guess is, in this information age, there will be a zombie information website, and then a se- like hundreds of little indie zombie websites, and say like a zombie tube, which will allow people to send out Zom-tube. survival. Yeah, survival info. It was sort of touched on in this awful Diary of the Dead Romero film. A, a way of actually putting out information to, to allow people, if the internet is still around and available wirelessly or something, uh, to actually learn how to survive out there and, you know, what the zombies are, what's, what's killing them. And the, the more technologically advanced version of writing on the walls in Left for Dead. Uh, regarding public broadcasting, it is absolutely on the media at that stage to send out only the facts, not the hysteria, and to send out to people, this is what's happening, this is how you can avoid it. For examples of what would actually happen, Shaun of the Dead, again. More reports are coming in about the inexplicable behaviour of gangs of crazed individuals committing random acts of atrocity. Although no one official is prepared to comment, religious groups are calling it Judgment Day. There's, There's panic, panic on the streets, on the streets of, Britain. of Britain. New services are inundated as an increasing number of reports of random attacks on people who are literally being eaten alive. Being eaten alive, flooded from all across the land. Witness reports are sketchy, but one unifying detail seems to be that the attackers in many instances appear to be in a trance-like state. In some cases, these statements suggest that the assailants are asleep. The public have been strongly advised the statement from the Home Office. Professor David Hart has this to say, even if they are a family member or a friend, as they must be considered highly dangerous. If you're harboring the bodies of recently deceased friends or relatives, it is suggested that you remove them from your house as quickly as possible. Wrap them tightly in a sheet or blanket. 
Leave them outside your residence well, with a label. You can probably see behind me, John. It's absolute chaos here. No one seems to be able to give an explanation as to what is happening and why the paramedics are refusing to treat the wounded in the sea. Um, as to the cause of the accident, it's believed that the driver of an articulated lorry may have suffered a heart attack at the wheel and lost control of the vehicle. Um, as you can probably see, the lorry crossed the central reservation and uh, jackknife. If anyone does disrupt the traffic in both very, very accurate to what's most likely. They just say, everyone stay in your homes if you possibly can. Do make no attempt to reach friends and loved ones, because that would keep the roads as clear as possible. The problem is with zombies, the more people interact with them, the more zombies there are. If the zombies can't get to us, there's less of them to then have to clean up. Subduing panic, the absolute highest prerogative. However, it's very important to say that the second it actually happens, folks, if the internet's still up, check out our website for many, many zombie survival guide podcasts as I start throwing out this is what you guys can do. And go straight to the forums because we'll probably be buying land in Siberia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Alex is our new overlord we all hail him well no we, I'm, I'm just one of the many people with, with a practical head on my shoulders and we've got many of them all in the uh, community so uh, yeah we'll, think we'll, about, look how fast we got to 500 quid just for a PC if absolutely. we're talking about surviving the species I'm sure we could come yeah. together several thousand pounds in not too much time we'll need an American <laughs> team and a British team let's just buy one of the others just off the coast of Scotland closer easier to get to all of you Australian listeners, you're going to be going into the outback together. Okay, so that was it from the Zombie Survival Guide. If we missed anything out, we will cover it next week when we do World War Z. It is an oral history of the zombie war. Tune in next week. So that's all from us. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Neil Taylor. And I've been Matt Ramsey. And happy trails. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. There's a man going round taking names. And he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down When the man comes around The hairs on your arm will stand up At the terror in each sip and in each sup Will you partake of that last offered cup Or disappear into the potter's ground when the man comes around hear the trumpets hear the pipers one hundred million angels singing multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum voices calling voices crying Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree 
the virgins are all trimming their wigs. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Till Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom. Then the father hen will call his chickens home. The wise men will bow down before the throne. And at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns. When the man comes around, whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down. When the man comes around, hear the trumpets, hear the pipers. One hundred million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying. Some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come, and the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In measured a hundredweight and penny pound, when the man comes around. And his name that sat on him was death, and hell followed with him.